Welcome to the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'm your host, Gary Durbin. I've been a worship leader for over 20 years, and I've learned a lot from so many on this journey. On this podcast, we'll have conversations and explore the dynamics of leading worship in the local church. To be a complete worship leader, I would say that you need to have a balance of talent and heart. We certainly have plenty of focus on our talent because we're artists and musicians, but to be complete, we need to make sure our heart is right. In this episode, I talked to Kevin Navarro, who is the author of one of the most influential books in my life and ministry called The Complete Worship Leader. Kevin serves as a spiritual director and spiritual formation coach for pastors, missionaries, and Christian leaders around the world. He has also served in worship and pastoral ministry for many years in the local church. His other books include The Complete Worship Service and recently Trinitarian Doxology. I'm sure you'll be encouraged and inspired by Kevin and his heart. It was definitely my honor to have this conversation with Kevin Navarro. Hey Kevin, it is so great to connect with you again. You're in Colorado, and it's just so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. It's great to be here. Yep. So what is the weather out there right now? It's been crazy. It's a uh, typical Colorado weather. You know, one day it's snowing, the next day the sun's out. So, um, yeah, it was snowing a couple of days ago. and But uh, right now, yeah, the weather's awesome. Yeah, it's been sunny. A little cool. I was out there today and just a little chill in the air, but uh, beautiful sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kevin is someone that has been part of my story uh originally because of the book that that he wrote years ago. And I'll quickly tell that story. In 2001, I surrendered to the call to be a worship leader in the local church. I felt God calling me towards that. And so I thought, well, I think I'll just go to the bookstore and start reading, you know, I need to educate myself. And I walked into the Christian bookstore and there was this kiosk at the very front and it had the book called the complete worship leader, just front and center. And I went, well, that sounds like exactly what I need to read. I knew I want to be a complete worship leader. I picked it up, bought it, read it, it impacted me greatly. And then years later, I moved to Denver, Colorado, where Kevin lives and uh, was there for a few years at a church plant. And before I left there to come to Ohio, where I'm at now, I thought, man, I need to get with Kevin Navarro just to tell him thank you for the book. And so Kevin was so gracious to take me to breakfast and just spend time with me and sign my book. And so anyway, it's just great to have you on the podcast after all that. Yeah, thanks, Gary, man. That's really cool. Just thanks for sharing that story. Yeah. It's just really cool how the Lord, uh, <laughs> from a calling to walking into a bookstore and, you know, uh, finding a book specifically to the calling. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. tell tell us about your journey to and through ministry. What did, what did that look like? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My whole adult life, I have been in some form of vocational ministry. Um, probably early on, I grew up in Colorado Springs, um, and I grew up Roman Catholic. And so 
in many ways, when we talk about worship and liturgy, uh, there was a lot that was there, uh, setting aside some of the theological stuff, uh, that just kind of shaped my heart for worship, whether it was the church year or whether it was the stained glass windows. Um, just remember all of that. And of course, being a Catholic, you know, First Holy Communion, all that stuff went through all of that. And then I hit my teen years and really became the rebel. Uh, not that I was, you know, set out to do that, like to rebel against my parents or anything like that, but went through several years where I was the kid that was partying all the time and whatnot. And then I had a friend of mine who came to Jesus about a year before I did. His name was Todd Williams. And uh, he was a drummer. We knew each other from bands and stuff like that in school. And he started inviting me on Friday nights to go to it was Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel, Colorado Springs at the time. And they would have these bands every Friday night, Sweet Comfort Band. Oh, man, were some of the bands uh, back in those days. Second Chapter of Acts, Leon Patillo, some of those folks. And they would do these concerts, and then they would tell people about Jesus. And after about a year of going to these concerts, I found myself down front giving my life to Christ. And I would say, even though my Catholic upbringing, all the pieces of the puzzle were there, really the born-again experience happened at this Calvary Chapel. And something really significant happened in terms of spiritually in my life. Just hungry for the scriptures, hungry for Jesus, had some great people disciple me. And so that those are my high school years. And so really finding, uh, you know, really being born again in, in my during high school and uh, then off to college um, in terms of ministry, I remember my freshman year, I went, I was a music major in undergraduate school and I remember going to UNC and um, the fall bazaar, all the different campus groups were out there, you know, Campus Crusade for Christ, InterVarsity, Navigators. I saw University Christian Fellowship. I had no idea what InterVarsity meant, but Christian Fellowship, man, I like that's me. I need that because uh, I was a pretty new Christian, say, you know. And um, well, throughout college, really involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, and then I discovered InterVarsity Press, and I think I read everything that InterVarsity Press had published. Uh, in those years, everything by John Stott and Francis Schaefer, and I mean, really got into C.S. Lewis and just was hungry. Man, my college years, just hungry, hungry, hungry to know the Lord and connection with fellowship. And then, of course, then this eventually led to, I met my wife in my college years, um, getting involved in music ministry, being a music major, you know, people figured, hey, you know, you know something about music, why don't you lead worship? And so that's how the whole worship thing started for me, uh, just helping out uh, with large group meetings and small group meetings and things like that. And even though I was a I was a jazz studies major, <laughs> trumpet performance major, uh, I played keys and piano and stuff like that, percussion. And so found myself in worship leading context, yeah, um, which, oh, my, I'm not even sure, you know. This this story gets really complicated, but uh, that led to several years with a ministry called Continental Ministries. We had the Continental Singers in those days, and uh, and eventually ended up becoming an international director for Continental Ministries, and traveled the world doing music ministry, uh, leading choirs, leading bands all over the world, telling people about Jesus, literally over 50 countries. I mean, all over the place, Southeast Asia, Latin America, throughout Europe the UK, Scandinavia, 
um, some of these Eastern Bloc countries at the time, Estonia, Hungary. So really, really great memories. And I think that's where I got, I started seeing not only the connection of music and worship and telling people about Jesus, but really what God was doing globally. And really God just started to put in my heart um, a real desire to be involved at a global level. And so, yeah, at that part of the juncture, my wife and I had been got married in 1988. We'd been, I was involved since 1985 to 1992, involved with Continental Ministries. And uh, literally, we after we got married, um, so I was directing before we got married, and then in 1988, we got married, and then we literally lived out of a suitcase for two and a half years. And um, I was loving it, and my wife was freaking out after a while. She's like, Kev, I need a place to call home and some place to yeah, some have some stability. And so we came back to Colorado, and to make a long story short, uh, I ended up at Denver Seminary, and I went through a Master of Divinity program and was a youth and worship pastor at a church during those years. And then after I graduated, I accepted a call to another church where I became the worship pastor for nine years, worship and adult ministries. And it was during those years, I think I really started thinking a lot about the subject of worship. And um, yeah, so anyway, that's that brings you up to about the time when the Complete Worship Leader was written. 2001, mm-hmm. actually, that was the year that it was published. You mentioned being called 2001. It was the same year that that book was published by Baker Books. Yeah. So cool. So one of the things I always ask people when they come on the podcast, as you had your years leading worship, being on the stage, what was there like a crazy or embarrassing moment that you experienced? Because we all have those flubs <laughs> at times. Anything stick out that that uh, is memorable? Yeah, you know, for me, it always it always came about not so much through a song or through through music but when i started to speak i would say every once in a while i'd say this the dumbest thing and i remember one time i was actually because uh, correlated with leading worship i started teaching um doing adjunct work and whatnot and i remember i was one time teaching a course at pacific rim christian college for wayne codero and new hope uh, church there in honolulu hawaii and all these folks undergraduate students studying worship great big class and I was talking about worship and I don't know why I was on the thing about fellowship and community, the importance of community. And um, I remember just really hammering home the importance of us being connected and being in community. And this quote from Thomas, from a Thomas Merton book uh, came into my head that no man is an island. And I think something that came out of my mouth from that reference, I think I said something like, it is impossible to do Christianity on an island. And everybody just busted out laughing. And then I finally caught myself. Here I am teaching on Oahu, right? And that uh, that's the thing that came out of my mouth. So then I start backtracking. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. <laughs> and, you're, and you've got your shovel. It was just the dumbest thing. <laughs> you've got your shovel and you're just digging yourself into the hole more and more. Exactly. And you're trying to explain yourself and trying to get out of this thing and it gets worse. And uh, so I've had several of those kinds of moments when I uh, I start talking. So I've encouraged many worship leaders over the years, do less talking, man. And you'll, 
it'll go a lot better for you. <laughs> and all the all the pastors out there went, Amen. Kevin. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. That's tell, right. Tell Land that the play, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So your stretch as a worship pastor in in the, the Denver area, that's where you decided to write the complete worship leader book? Yeah. So during my years with where it started was with when I was directing for Continental Ministries, I was also an adjudicator at Christian Artist Seminar in Estes Park. And the connection there was Cam Floria, who was the founder of Continental Ministries, was also the founder of Christian Artist Seminar. And... Um, <clears throat> For those who don't know what Christian Order Seminar was, uh, I don't think that kind of thing's still going on. Maybe somewhere internationally, stuff like that's happening, I'm sure. But it was almost a bit of a like The Voice or an American Idol, a Christian version of that, where people would come out and they'd have these competitions and various Christian artists uh, at the time would perform, but then they would also give workshops on a variety of things, integrity music, people like Marty Nystrom and folks like that would you know, teach about songwriting or teach about leading worship. And uh, so I was an adjudicator, meaning that I was judging competitions. And so as I'd get to hear competitors uh, come forward, uh, I was always fascinated in terms of integration, what was going on in an individual's life. And so uh, inevitably, it seemed like you would have the amazing artist, the killer artist. I mean, they're a great guitar player, you know, just great on their instrument, great singer. And then you'd ask them about their walk with Jesus, and they'd kind of be stumbling about really talking about that. Or you'd ask them some really important questions about their faith, and they really couldn't quite put that together. Or you would have the other combination where you'd have folks that really love Jesus and really were passionate. And then, you know, they were just a piece of work when you listen to them as an artist. And your heart, you know, was breaking because they would have these stories about how they left everything and God called them into worship ministry. But there was so much development that was needed. And so I think the seeds for that book, The Complete Worship Leader, uh, which was somewhat of an ambitious title, and really what was meant by that um, was more the idea of an integrated worship leader, somebody who has a strong kind of, the, is undergirded, you know, in terms of theologically, um, is really taking the call to follow Jesus seriously, is really developing as an artist. And then the issue of leadership, um, a lot of, again, really great artists uh, love Jesus, but just really didn't know how to lead groups of people. Um, and so as a worship leader, you know, we're involved in leading the body of Christ uh, to come together to express our gratitude and praise, or confession, or whatever to the Lord, but we're doing that in community. And uh, just a lot of people didn't know how to do that. And I was in the process of trying to sort through all this myself. So writing the book was a way for me to kind of process what I was trying to do as well. And so I ended up going to Fuller Seminary um, and during the 90s. <laughs> Boy, when you, you get to a certain age, you start talking in decades. It sounds like you're talking about, you know, <laughs> your favorite Christian rock band in the 80s or 90s or whatever. So, But in the 90s, um, I went to Fuller Seminary and I worked on a doctor of ministry degree. And it was in the area of Christian spirituality. So Dallas Willard and James Bryan Smith were my supervisors at the time. And so I started thinking a lot about this idea of being a follower of Jesus really seriously. Um, they really... Um, 
challenged me on a, on many fronts. Um, and so as I started thinking about other people I was taking courses with, whether it was in worship or in leadership, uh, the director of the doctor ministry program, his name was Rob Redman, who has since become a lifelong friend, um, really encouraged me when he heard my backstory, having a music undergraduate degree and having gone to seminary and working in the church and thinking about the subject of worship quite a bit, encouraged me to write a doctor of ministry thesis um, on the subject of worship. And so it was entitled Becoming a Complete Worship Leader. So that's what I wrote for Fuller Seminary. That's where all the writing started happening there. And uh, after I graduated, uh, it just kind of sat there for a couple of years. And during those years, though, I was trying to figure out <clears throat> how I could rewrite it as a trade book so I could really get it published. And so I was thinking a lot about this. And then it was about two years later, Rob Redman asked me, hey, Kev, whatever happened with your project? Did you ever work on getting it published? I'm like, man, I'm thinking about that all the time, but don't know how to move forward. And so he said, well, here's an, here's a contact. And it was an acquisitions editor at Baker Books by the name of Bob Hozak. I contacted him. I sent him a book proposal and they took it on. It was unbelievable. They just took it on. It was like beginner's luck. So I took it on right away. And um, Sally Morgenthaler, who was a friend of mine at the time, had written some stuff on worship and how the church was shifting. And so she um, she wrote the forward to it and Rob Redman endorsed it. And uh, yeah, that's that story. And it, that book just took off. Yeah, it was great. And since uh, it was also then translated into Korean. Um, and then one day I got a call from Sally Morgenthau, and she said, there's some person in Tehran, Iran, trying to get a hold of you. And I'm like, Tehran, Iran? What? And uh, this guy, Hannibal Yusuf, he runs a, he's training worship leaders in Iran, and he's translated your book into Farsi, and he wants to get a hold of you. So I, I reached out to him, and he said, man, we're getting ready to distribute this thing. And I, we thought we probably should get permission from the author <laughs> and the publisher. It was just one of those things, right? So I turned it over to Baker Books and it started getting complicated in terms of them getting the rights to do it. And so I told Baker Books, listen, I don't care about royalties or anything. I've already been paid off. The fact that somebody would translate this book into Farsi and is training worship leaders throughout Iran, man, what better payment can you get than that? So they gave him the green light and... Uh, it's just kind of amazing how God has used this book all over the world. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, I, <laughs> I'm one person who's grateful for it. And I, I've actually taken multiple worship leaders through it and I'm taking a worship leader through it right now at my church. So yeah, it continues to impact and thank you for your obedience to write that book and put it out there and bless so many people. It's, that's fantastic. It's awesome. I remember when I, put my book when I was finishing my book more than a worship leader, I thought, I wonder if Kevin would actually endorse my book. That would be so cool. And you were like, you didn't even hesitate. You're like, absolutely. So <laughs> I proudly have you as the first endorsement on the back of my book. I'm so grateful for that. That's so cool. Oh man, that's awesome. Thank you. And now you're on my podcast. So that's <laughs> That's that's awesome. I don't know what how we can top it now. So, <laughs> well, your your book is full of um, just helpful things. 
about being a worship leader, as worship leaders listen to this episode, what would be a, a piece of advice that you'd give to current worship leaders right now that could really just help them as they currently serve in their church? Well, one of the things that uh, I talk about quite a bit these days is language of calling. Uh, usually when we talk about calling, we are immediately, you know, like we have various programs like, like say, the SHAPE acronym or um, the network seminar, trying to figure out our spiritual gifts and how we're wired. And immediately when we talk about calling, we go to my call to be a worship leader, my call to be a pastor, my call to be a missionary. And I would say that is a calling, but it's a second order calling. Our first order calling, I can use that language, is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Jesus says this is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it, to love our neighbors ourselves. So being a great musician, being an artist, all that, absolutely work on work on your you know, on your craft, do that well. But what always should take precedent from the, even before that is your first order calling is to cultivate just a hunger for the Lord. Uh, just fall in love with the Lord every day. I mean, it's the issue of seeking God, seeking him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And uh, to never give up on that season after season after season, you know, when the things are going well, follow hard after the Lord. When things are going bad, continue to seek the Lord, just like the psalmist, you know, uh, how many times when things are just tough, uh, the psalmist turns to the Lord, you know, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, you know, I wait silently upon the Lord. And so that idea of really cultivating first order calling for a worship leader is a non-negotiable. It is so critical because the thing is, is um, I always I always say we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. So if you're up on a platform and you know you have a killer voice and really great on the guitar or keys or whatever instrument you play or no instrument, but you know, leading worship from that. But if if you don't have a heart burning for the Lord, it's gonna be hard for that to rub off on on the congregation. And and people can pick that up. They can kind of pick that up. This this is just turning into a gig, you know, uh, into a performance. Versus someone who is just has such a heart that's burning for the Lord. So I would say to any worship leader, if I was mentoring them one-on-one, -on -one, man, that's the thing I would work on more than anything else is just to cultivate a deep longing for God. Uh, yeah. And then from that place, uh, experiencing God's love, the Father's love for you, and then letting that overflow uh, through your songwriting, through how you lead other people's songs, um, how you lead prayer, um, even in terms of, you know, it's kind of a little statement from Paul Loesch when he used to talk about pray your songs and sing your prayers, you know, turn all that stuff into prayer and uh, lead people into cultivating a heart for God. Because I think ultimately that's what we're talking about. Yes, we're praising God or giving thanks to him and we're declaring, you know, his greatness. I mean, we're doing all that stuff in worship, but ultimately what we're doing is we're creating a community of people who are hungry for the Lord and passionate about God. So that's what I would say, man. And you're not only coming from a worship leader perspective, but 
I know when you and I had breakfast several years ago, you were pastoring at the time. You've you've pastored. How has pastoring grown you and grown your view of worship? Yeah. Well, it's really it's really easy, uh, depending on the size of the church. If it's a larger church, right? To um, as a worship leader, to really get siloed. You know, like, here's the thing I do. I I lead teams and you know work on the rotations and work with teams helping me you know develop services and um, whatnot and everything gets focused on uh, the worships the worship community the worship teams the worship service but what a senior pastor is is doing and uh, in my case I was a worship pastor for nine years and then in the same church that I was the worship pastor I was called to eventually become the senior pastor for the next 14 years so I served in that church for 23 years before I uh, eventually God called me out to serve a mission agency but as a senior pastor what I realized that the difference for me being a worship leader is I was just concerned about the worship service and the worship worshiping community, primarily those the artist, the art maybe the artistic community, and so that was my domain, so to speak, of of shepherding. But when you were pastoring, uh, particularly as a lead pastor, as a, as a senior pastor, you're just you're not just thinking about the worship service; you're thinking about the overall mission and where this overall church is going, and how this worship service fits into this bigger picture. And so one of the things that uh, can be really helpful is that relationship between senior pastor and worship pastor is for the senior pastor to really have a really dynamic relationship with the worship pastor to share their heart in terms of what what God has put on their heart. And also for the worship pastor to be curious, to really have a great relationship, as best they can, uh, you know, again, depending on the size of the church, I understand uh, reporting happens differently with executive pastors and things like this, but to, to the best of our ability, leading upward, really trying to have dynamic relationships with those that are in leadership above us to understand their heart and where the overall where this overall thing is going, where's this bus going? So to speak, kind of using that Jim Collins analogy, you know, where's this bus going, getting on that right bus, getting in the right seat. And I think you could apply that to the, the worship context as well. Where's what's the mission of this church. And then how does the worshiping context fit into the overall mission of the church? And that's not to make the worship service or anything subservient to like say evangelism or those kinds of things, but it's just trying to understand the context of this overall thing that we're doing. So I think that was probably the most helpful thing for me. It really broadened my perspective. And the other thing I think that pastoring did for me was not only understand the bigger picture, but really made me start thinking about relationships because most pastors uh, are cultivating relationships, and it's easy for artists as well, um, and kind of not, well, let me say not as well, but for artists in, in contrast to say that pastoral heart of cultivating relationships, it's easy for us as artists to really get more task focused and uh, working on a set and working on, you know, on the song and uh it becomes maybe more task oriented than it does people oriented. And we need both. I mean, we need to get stuff done, but we need to build relationships. We need to build relationships with our team. 
with the congregants that we're leading uh, that God has entrusted to us. I remember one time there was one season where <laughs> I was conferencing after conference after conference, right? I go to these conferences and I'd come back and I try to do all the stuff that I saw at a conference. And I remember the Holy Spirit one time saying, Kev, I don't want you to lead worship for the people you saw at the conference. I want you to lead worship for the people that I'm putting in front of you. So that requires some relationships. That requires um, getting a chance to know people. Because it's really easy just to kind of just bypass all that. Yeah, and when you're the senior pastor, you you can't you can't just leave your ministry on the stage. I mean, you're you're literally shepherding, and you're in the lives of people, and it's about about helping and shepherding those people. It's not. It is. It's not about. It's definitely not about a song anymore. It's about people. So, I love Absolutely. that. I love that big picture and experience uh, that you've had with that. That's very cool. So right now, why don't you? We've got a few minutes left. Why don't you let us know what you're doing now? What's what's God doing in your in your ministry now? Yeah. Well, real quick on the subject of worship. Um, yeah, I'm grateful for the worship leader book that came out in 2001. I wrote a follow up book in 2005 called The Complete Worship Service, also published by Baker Books. Um, and uh, so in the same way, I was looking at kind of the worship leader and uh, their development in the Complete Worship Leader book. really wanted to think about what a what holistic worship service looked like. And the thesis basically came down to that I, I felt every weekend service was a foretaste of heaven. And so that was really what I was emphasizing. And then just uh, two years ago, gosh, 2020, yeah. Uh, sorry, the pandemic, right? It's kind of messed us all up. But in 2020, I published my third book um, entitled uh, Trinitarian Doxology, which is a little bit more of a theological uh, look at the subject of worship. And so, and that's published by Whippenstock or um, uh, Pickwick, who just um, basically one of the brands underneath uh, Whippenstock. So anyway, just wanted to let people know that if they're interested in doing a deeper dive theologically, uh, the Trinitarian Doxology book uh, is out there. What I do these days is I serve with a mission agency. In 2016, I transitioned out of my pastorate for, uh, well, the church I was pastoring, I, I mentioned I was there 23 years. And then prior to that, I was at another church for three years. So 26 years of pastoral ministry and um, back in the mission world. And I work with Novo Mission, um, used to be CRM, Church Resource Ministries, uh, based out of Anaheim, California. But we have just under 800 missionaries in 115 countries. And I serve on a team called Imago Christi, which is Latin for the image of Christ. And we do spiritual formation coaching and spiritual direction for those within our mission agency. Uh, but also, I prim my primary calling is coming alongside pastors um, and um, missionaries, but also leaders of nonprofits. So I work with some of the leadership team of the Denver Rescue Mission. Um, I work with some, um, yeah, different nonprofits in terms of just coaching in the area of slowing down and falling in love with the Lord, all the stuff I was talking about earlier. Um, and what does it mean to cultivate a relationship? So I'm kind of back to that, really focused on that and uh, trying to create space for people uh, where they can kind of process what they're going through in ministry. And in particular, 
I'm focused on working with, you know, a lot of leaders that are in transition or really kind of going through uh, some kind of crisis. Uh, and what I didn't say about that was one of the reasons I do that work is because God called me to do this work. Um, I had in pastoral ministry mostly awesome years, but the last three years were really crazy, man. It was just drama after, you know, staffing transitions and people mad about this and that. And uh, I mean, it was just one thing after another and which led to uh, a burnout story for me and just really being disheartened. You know, I spent all these years doing ministry and training for ministry and feeling completely lost um, at a certain point when all the wheels started falling off and not understanding what the heck was going on with me or my reaction or response. And fortunately, I had somebody who was a, a leadership coach and I had another person came in who was a counselor and then a spiritual director all just came in and they really guided me through a time of um, kind of a liminal space, which was just really, uh, some people would call it a night of the sense, night of, you know, John of the Cross stuff, night of the spirit, which was really what was going on is the Lord was taking me into a deeper place with him. I didn't see it at the time. I just thought it was all pure chaos, but the Lord was taking me into a deeper space with him. And then out of that, uh, the Lord encouraged me through a couple of really supernatural things at a retreat. And then one time at a conference where I had this guy with some prophetic gifts come and just pray over me and speak into my life about coming alongside leaders who walk with a limp and uh, coming alongside um, pastors and missionaries and uh, really uh, being a Barnabas of sorts, really providing encouragement out of a place of somebody who gets it. And I have to be honest with you, when the Lord called me to do that, I wasn't like, yes, Lord. I was like, no way, Lord. I mean, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist, right? Um, my training is in academic theology. It's in all these other areas. But but the Lord just kept coming back to me saying, but Kev, you've been on the front lines. You've been in the trenches. You get this world. You understand it. And um, Gary, when I finally surrendered to the Lord, end of 2016, I joined this mission agency in 2017, and I currently coach about 30 leaders on a monthly basis. And a lot of them are really significant uh, leadership roles and and leading not just teams, but sometimes divisions over, you know, not only our own mission agency, but with other organizations as well. And um, it's just an honor to be a friend to be a soul friend for them uh, because I think that's the biggest thing that those of us in leadership, whether worship pastors or whether senior pastors are longing for is just a solid friend who can we can process a lot of stuff with. So, yeah, so that's what I do these days. Well, that's fantastic. It's so cool that you are um, helping other leaders, church leaders, worship leaders, not just become uh, better at their craft, but really helping them grow in their relationship with Christ, and uh, that is that is so key. And I love I loved everything that you you've said about that going deeper than all those things, and the the idea of being complete, the idea of being well rounded. Uh, my book has the same vein, more than just that stuff you see on the stage. So love your heart for that, and then thanks thanks again for your impact on my life and your continued impact even on this podcast i appreciate you man 
Yeah, thanks, Gary. Thanks for the invitation, man, to to do this. And yeah, blessings to you. Thank you, brother, for all your kind words. And and uh, yeah, what God is doing in your life so cool. And thanks for this opportunity to yeah, talk with you here on your podcast. So and best of luck and blessings on this podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. As Kevin said, it's easy for us to become more task-oriented than people-oriented. That's a good heart check for me, especially because I'm a taskmaster. I can too often become focused on accomplishing something over investing in someone. Here's what I said in my book. I cannot have a true passion for Jesus if I do not have compassion for people. How can I claim to lead worship if I don't even think about or love people? It's hypocritical at best. When I love people more than music, I know I'm growing as a worship leader. It also shows that I'm growing to be more than a worship leader. So what do you need to do to strike that balance of talent and heart? What do you need to do in order to become complete or more? Is it about better productivity? Maybe it's about better relationships. Whatever it is, just know that your effort will be worth it. Your church will be blessed and God will be praised. Stay tuned for the next episode of the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing and sharing. Thanks for listening.